Yeah, amen. Yeah, it's through the scriptures alone that we learn that it's by grace alone and it's through faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. God, that's uh, our declaration today. Lord, now as we open your word, Lord, we thank you that you're looking for people today who are humble and who tremble at your word. Uh, So, Lord, we want to approach this time with reverence and awe. For you are a God who's communicated and you've put what you want us to know and how you want us to live uh, in this book. So may we handle it correctly. May we interpret it as it is meant to be understood. And then, Holy Spirit, would you take your living word and apply it to our lives, Lord, because many of us All of us need to be changed, and some of us have specific and unique needs today that you are going to uh, meet as your word is proclaimed. Lord, we offer ourselves to you now for your purposes, for your mission, for the fame of your glorious name, and we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. So recently, Beth and I spent some time going through some boxes in our basement. Yeah, actually, Beth cleaned the whole basement during quarantine, (laughs) and she handed me one box to go through. She said, go through this and decide what you want to keep and what you want to throw out. Well, I came across a number of prayer journals in the box that she had handed me. And I enjoyed going through those, and I came across one uh, entry from 2004. Here's the cover of the journal. So on the back side, the front, open the front cover, this is what I wrote at the very top. It went like this. To Megan, Megan is our youngest daughter. We have four daughters. She's is our youngest. She was five years old at the time, and she had just become a Christ follower. And so I asked this question, how does it feel to be a new Christian? Megan hesitated, and she said this. She asked this question, what's a new Christian supposed to do, daddy? Well, seeing that question again, stirred up some thoughts I've had as a father and as a pastor over the years. What is a new Christian supposed to do? Are there some things you and I must do in order to grow? Well, that ties right into our second G, gathering, growing giving and going with the gospel all for the glory of God. Last weekend, we were in Philippians chapter 3, and we established this truth. If you want to grow, you're going to have to let some things go. Well, we're going to see today that as we grow, we'll go global with the gospel. Our purpose is to define discipleship. A disciple is a believer 
who lovingly follows Jesus, doesn't stop there, and intentionally helps others follow him. So the first step is for each of us to be lovingly following Jesus with our whole hearts and then to intentionally help others to do the same. When Jesus called some fishermen in Matthew 4.19, he also gave them their purpose. Follow me and I will what? I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, spend time with me, but here's your purpose. You're going to be fishing for men. We're to grow and we're to take others along with us. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And what you've heard from me, this is Paul writing to Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, comma, who will be able to teach others also. So here's what I wrote down. A devoted disciple disciples other disciples who in turn disciple more disciples. And so we're kicking off a brand new series. We're calling it Discipleship Matters. And we're going to wrestle with the discipleship demands of Jesus as found in the Gospels. In preparation for this series, I read each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I simply made a notation in the margin with the letter D every time Jesus calls people to follow him or every time that he gives some demands for following him. Well, here's an entry from, this is Matthew 4 and Matthew 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 times I saw a call for discipleship. So guess how many D's I wrote in the margin in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Anybody? How many do you think there are? Yeah, there's 104 uh, of those different uh, claims as Jesus clarifies his call for disciples to follow him fully. And we're going to look at some of those these next seven weeks. Our text today is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. But before we get to that text, let's set the context. In Matthew chapter 28, that's the resurrection chapter. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and to the other Mary. Later, he showed up to Peter and then to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That evening, he appeared to most of the disciples and finally to Thomas. Shortly after this, we read these words. I draw your attention to verses 16 and 17. This is the immediate context. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. We learn three key truths from these verses. Number one, obedience is always the expectation. So even though the resurrection happened in Jerusalem, Jesus directed his disciples to meet him on a mountain 
in Galilee, so Jerusalem down here on the southern part, Galilee up north, that's a distance of 90 miles. So Jesus said, head to Galilee and I will meet you there, Matthew 26, 32. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you into Galilee. That was a challenging and difficult trip, but the disciples didn't hesitate. So let's bring that to our world in a similar way. You and I must strive for obedience no matter how hard it is. And don't miss this. If the disciples wanted to see Jesus again, they had to go to Galilee. And because the disciples obeyed Jesus, they put themselves in position to hear him make a monumental statement. So listen. We will never know the person of Jesus and we won't know his plans for us if we're not obedient. Obedience is the key to fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Observation number two, the right response is always reverence. When the disciples see Jesus, they hit the dirt in worship. The idea behind this word for worship is that they prostrated themselves before him. So here's the picture. They drop to their knees and they're on their way to hit, put their faces in the dirt. But before, on their way down, they're, they're throwing kisses to Jesus. That's what the word worship means. So they saw Jesus, they hit the ground in worship. Something similar happened, Matthew 14, After Jesus walks on the water, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Number three, and I hope you'll find encouragement here, your doubts don't disqualify you. The word for doubt means to be divided in half. It means to be uncertain. It means to be wavering in hesitation. It was used of a person standing where two ways meet, and he or she doesn't know what direction to go. I find it fascinating that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their doubts, nor does he reject the worship of those who revered him. Some found great delight in him, others doubted him. Most of them are focused and faithful, but some were filled with fear. Aren't we a lot like that? There's times when we're like, I'm going to do this. God's calling me to do it, and we're moving forward. And then there's other times we're just filled with doubt. Before we unpack this passage, known as the Great Commission, I want to share some stunning results of a recent Barna study. I've shared these before, but it's worth us looking at it again. So this was the question asked of churchgoers. Have you heard of the Great Commission? When asked if churchgoers had heard of the Great Commission, 51% said they didn't even recognize the term. 25% said they'd heard of it, But they didn't know what it meant. So sadly, 76% of those who go to church have no clue what the Great Commission is all about. Embarrassingly, only 17% have heard of the Great Commission and know what it means. 
So to be clear, the Great Commission is found in all four Gospels, but for our purposes, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. These words come as a direct command from Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able, and we invite you to stand as a way to show respect for God's Word, reverence for His Word. Let me remind you, these are words of Jesus, some of His final words words to the 11 disciples. Uh, You listen, the words will be up on the screen, uh, or follow along in your copy of the scriptures as I read. And Jesus came, he came to the worshipers and the doubters, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, And make disciples of all nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You can have a seat. There are three main points here that I've been praying would propel us to participate fully in the mission that he has for us. Point number one, be convinced of the full authority of Jesus Christ. We see that, right, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You notice how it begins, and Jesus came, and he said to them, I love that Jesus draws near to the disciples. He draws near to the doubters. Now, before giving them the assignment, Jesus made sure that they understood that he had authority to do so. The word all refers to totality. Authority speaks of power. We could say it like this, Jesus has the right and the might to do whatever he decides to do. In John 3.35, we see the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. So this is a good spot to pause and to answer a question. Uh, Here's the question. Have you given Jesus first place in your life? Last night, when I asked that question, the Holmquist family was sitting over there, and I have permission from Chastity to share this. So I said, does Jesus have first place in your life? Little Evie, who's four years old, goes, yes! (laughs) It was wonderful! It's good for us adults to hear that. So does Jesus have first place in your life? Would you say Jesus is prominent? He's important? Or would you say he's preeminent? He's number one. What he says goes in your life. Or do you refer to him as Lord and then live however you want to live? 
In his book called Multiply, Francis Chan writes this, Imagine Jesus walking up to the first disciples and saying something like this, Hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Oh, don't worry. I don't actually care if you do anything I do or if you change your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. Chan adds these words, The call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is open to everyone, but we don't get to write our own job description. If Jesus Christ is Lord, let's change that. Since Jesus Christ is Lord, then he sets the agenda. So get this, settle this truth. Jesus has all authority. He is in charge. He is in control. And the number one requirement in fulfilling the Great Commission is to make sure that you and I are fully following Jesus as devoted followers. Now, that's the first part of our definition. A disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus. Now let's move to the second half and intentionally helps others follow him. Point number two, be committed to follow the assignment of Jesus. So once we've submitted to his authority, we line up under his right to rule and reign supreme all over the world, but in our lives as well, we're now ready to receive his assignment. Here it is, verses 19, the first part of 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, remember, he gives this commission to make disciples to doubters. (laughs) That's actually encouraging to me. Jesus is saying something like this, go and make disciples, and in your going, your doubts will disappear. So as Jesus hovers between heaven and earth, he has one final thing to say to his followers. This is not a suggestion. This is not optional. Though for many of us, perhaps it'd be more correct to call it the great omission. So here's our approach. We're going to unpack these verses phrase by phrase. First word is go. That literally means to transport oneself, to go from one place to another. can also be translated like this, in your going. In other words, we are to make disciples in the natural course of our lives. If you're a student, you do that on campus, in your job, at the workplace, in your neighborhood, starting in your own homes. To go is a given. As we go, this is what we should do. We're to move, not stand still. We're to be active, not inert. After all, the first two letters of gospel, G-O, our go. Because God is a going God, that means crossing boundaries. Uh, That could mean crossing the street. 
to talk to your neighbors. It could mean going out for a meal with a non-believer. It could be going to the West End. It could be going beyond one's comfort zone and going cross-culturally to another country. Go, Jesus said, therefore. So he's linking back to his authority. Because of his authority, Jesus has the right to reign supreme and give commands to his charges. Everything he says and all that we've been given to do is based upon his universal and unquestioned lordship. Go, therefore, and make disciples. While I make it my practice to study the original Hebrew and Greek words when I'm preparing to preach, I seldom pronounce the words in the original language, and it's probably because I'm not good at pronunciation. But I think it's helpful here. Didaskalos means teacher. Methetes means pupil or disciple. It was impossible for a didaskalos to be a teacher unless he had methetes, disciples. It was equally impossible to be a disciple unless you had a teacher. It's the relationship between pupil and teacher that was the essence of discipleship. Discipleship is all about relationship. Now, the word disciple is literally a learner. One who's been mentored and being mentored by the master. It also denotes one who follows another's teaching. Thus, a disciple is a lifelong learner who lives out what he or she is learning from the teacher. Mark 3.14 says, Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Be with so that he can send them out. Even today, men and women Teenagers, boys and girls are his method. We're called to be with Jesus and then to go with the gospel to those who need to hear it. Discipleship is more than just getting to know what the teacher knows. It's becoming more like who the teacher is. The goal of a disciple is given by Jesus, Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his teacher, But everyone, when he is fully trained, listen to this, will be like his teacher. Bill Hall, who pastored at Homewood Evangelical Free Church here in the Quad Cities, describes a disciple as someone whose intention is to follow Jesus and learn from him how to live his life as though Jesus were living it. So here's what I wrote down. After reading several articles, after going through some excellent training from Pastor Tim and Pastor Kyle on discipleship, after reading a couple books on discipleship, here's what I jotted down. A disciple loves Jesus, learns from Jesus, lives out what he learns, and leaves a legacy to others. So our commission is more than just evangelism. 
we must make disciples by evangelizing, by equipping, by edifying, and by enfolding new believers into reproducing churches. This is clearly evident, the model in the book of Acts, Acts 14, 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, listen, and had made many disciples, they returned. They preached. Why did they preach? To make many disciples. And then they returned. There's one main verb, one main command in this passage. Here it is. Make disciples. We're to go in order to make disciples. We're to baptize disciples. And we're to reach and teach disciples to obey. Next phrase, of all nations. When Jesus first sent out his disciples in Matthew 10, he told them to only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, now, right before he leaves, when he gives the Great Commission, he inaugurates an explicitly worldwide mission. Well, this was not only new and novel to many Jews, it would have been abhorrent for some of them to even think about going to pagan lands. The task of making disciples must extend to the ends of the earth. The word nations is the Greek ethne, from which we get ethnic, and refers to people groups, not just countries. So our task is not just to make disciples in the 195 or so countries of the world. But it's to go to the 16,000 distinct people groups located across the continents. And many of those people groups are still unreached with the gospel. They've never heard the name of Jesus. Many of those groups of people do not have the Bible translated into their language. And so we're to make disciples of everyone, everywhere, at all times. Now, no doubt, this requires dedicated disciples who will go, and it also requires others who will stand behind them with their prayers and their pocketbooks. I was at a conference many years ago, and I heard John Piper make a statement that was bold. But I've never forgotten it. John Piper said there are only three possible responses to the Great Commission. Response number one is to go. Response number two is to send others who go. Response number three is to disobey. Go, send, or disobey. And I fear that we as American Christians have lost sight that there are thousands of people dying without Christ every day and waking up in the horrors of hell. So here's the question. What percentage of the world's 7.1 billion people reside in the United States. Anybody want to take a guess? 
of the world's population, there's 7.1 billion people on the planet, what percent live in the United States? 20, it's a little high. Yeah, it's, it's closer. It's, fi- it's 5% of the world's population. And yet, don't we often act like we're the center of the universe? Revelation 5, verse 9. And with your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and tongue. So here's how I look at it. Since there'll be believers from every people group in heaven, you and I must go with the gospel and develop disciples to the ends of the earth. Next phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a sign of separation from the world and identification with the triune God where we pledge allegiance to the Almighty. It's an outward expression of an inner confession. And would you know we're to baptize in the name, not in the names. We see the unity and diversity. There is one God eternally existing as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have you ever been to a grocery store and you saw a can and it no longer had a label on it? And my guess is you weren't going to buy that can because you don't really know what's inside. So if the can has a label that says green beans, it's like the can is saying, I want you to know green beans live inside me. When you're baptized, you're putting a label on yourself. And you're saying, Jesus Christ lives inside me. And I belong to him. Listen, if you are born again and you've not been baptized by immersion, that is your next step. Maybe you're thinking, oh, you have to say that. You're a Baptist pastor. Uh, Jesus said that. It's a step of obedience. And our next baptisms will take place right up here. Uh, We'll schedule the date sometime in February. Well, it doesn't end with baptizing. And then it says teaching. Jesus says teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So we're not interested in just filling heads. We want filled up hearts and hands and feet that obey. We're to teach people to observe all that Jesus commanded, meaning a lifetime of learning and living out what the Lord teaches us. That's why we take the Bible so seriously here. One Greek dictionary explains it as persisting in obedience. 500 years ago today, Martin Luther was excommunicated. This is something Martin Luther said about biblical faith. Quote, while others are debating whether faith produces works, real faith has already run out into the streets and is at work. 
Tony Evans writes this, people want salvation, but they don't want to put in the time to be strong disciples of Jesus Christ. What many Christians want to do is audit the Christian life. An audit is where a person goes to class to get information, but is not required to do any of the work. Christ came near and they knew him. Now he tells them to make him known. Now that we know, we must grow so we can make him known to those who don't know. A disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus. Doesn't stop there. And intentionally helps others follow him. Number three. Be comforted by the faithful assurance of Jesus. Jesus has all the authority to give any assignment he chooses. But frankly, that can feel overwhelming. And so he quickly promises his presence. Look at the last part of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. While Jesus gives what seems like an impossible assignment, he does so with his authority and with his faithful assurance that he will be with us. Jesus is present with us throughout the entire discipleship process. Some translations use the word amen or lo for the word behold. The Greek literally means see, pay close attention, behold, remember. That phrase, I am, it's emphatic. It's as if there's an exclamation mark behind it. It brings us back to Exodus 3.14 when God referred to himself this way, I am who I am. And so when Moses wonders what he should say to the people when they ask who sent him, God says, Moses, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. In a similar way, you and I are sent by the great I am and we have the added promise of his presence as we proclaim the gospel. The word with means remaining in the midst of, always means the whole of every day. It's fascinating. Matthew begins his gospel, Matthew one twenty one, describing Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. That has application to worship, but specifically Jesus is talking about church discipline of confronting a believer who's sinning, who's straying. You fast forward to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and we read that Jesus will be with us. Jesus is not only with us when we gather in his name, he's with us when we go in his name. And because we have his assurance to be with us, you and I can complete his authoritative assignment to go and make disciples. So in that sense, we don't go for him. We go with him. Or maybe we should say he goes with us. 
So no matter how challenging and difficult the task may seem, remember the Redeemer is with you. Hold on to the promise found in Matthew 16, 18. Words of Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ray Pritchard puts it precisely. You'll never know if Jesus has the power to help you until you really need his help. You'll never know if Jesus is with you until you decide to go somewhere in his name. The entire commission is bookended with God's sovereign power, all authority. Here's the other bookend. His eternal presence. I will be with you. In summary, Jesus is saying something like this. Be convinced of my full authority. Be committed to follow my assignment and be comforted by my faithful assurance. Jesus is surely with us and he'll be with us to the very end of the age. We are able only because he enables. Jesus promised in John 14, 8, I will not leave you as orphans. So every time, You go with the gospel. Every step of obedience that you take, every time you strive to live out the Great Commission, every time you have that awkward spiritual conversation with someone, every time you seek to disciple someone, Jesus is there with you. And he will be with you until the end of the age. You can count on the promise of his presence. We are never closer to Jesus than when we're doing what he commanded us to do. Let me rewind that. We are never closer to Jesus than when we're doing what he commanded us to do. Hey, would you note the four uses of the word all in this passage? Jesus possesses all authority. He sends us to all nations. We're to teach people all he's commanded. And when we make disciples, he is with us always. You know, as I was thinking about what all of this means for Edgewood, I don't want discipleship just to become a program of Edgewood because discipleship is the purpose of our church. It's not just one of many ministries. It is our ministry mandate. And it's for everyone, not just the pastors. It must start in our hearts and then fleshed out into our homes. That's where it's got to start first. So parents, you are called to make disciples of your children. Grandparents, we are called to disciple grandchildren. And while decisions for Christ are important, the true metric is how many disciples of Christ we are making. Our aim is for everyone to be lovingly following Jesus and intentionally helping others to do the same. We want you to be discipled by someone and for you to disciple someone. Let me ask for closing questions. Question number one, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
If you don't know Jesus yet, it's time for you to get saved. Put your faith in him and then lovingly follow him for the rest of your life. Question number two, what one thing will you do to grow in 2021? Because here's a newsflash. You will not coast into Christ-likeness. You will not coast into Christ-likeness. According to research, only those who are intentional will actually engage in discipleship and grow as a disciple. We must not only have faith in Jesus, we must be faithfully following him. So if you want 2021 to be different, decide to go deep. Some of you are saved, but you're not surrendered. Others of you are born again, but you've not been baptized. So what are you waiting for? Let's together gather as God's people. Let's grow, let's give, and let's go with the gospel. All for the glory of God. Question number three. What's your Bible reading plan for 2021? Studies show reading the Bible is the number one predictor for spiritual growth. If you want to grow, you must get into God's word and you must allow God's word to get into you. And that's our topic next weekend. Now, some of you already have a reading plan in place. That's great. If you don't, I highly recommend the Edgewood plan. Pastor Tim puts that together. There's a new one every month. This month, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. You can find that on our app, our website. There are paper copies out in the lobby. Question number four, what one person will you pour into in 2021? Moses had Joshua, Eli influenced Samuel, Elijah impacted Elisha, Barnabas put his arm around Paul, Priscilla and Aquila discipled Apollos, Paul trained Timothy and Titus, and Jesus discipled the twelve and gave more extensive exhortations to Peter, James, and John. D.L. Moody once stated, it's better to train ten people than to do the work of ten people, but it's harder. The group Jesus poured into was small. It took him over three years to train 12 people while there were millions in the world at the time. So here's a question. How could a dozen men, 11 men, be expected to reach all nations with the gospel? The answer is found in the principle of multiplication. Allow me to illustrate Would you rather have a million dollars every week for a year or one penny for the first week and then double it every week for a year? You'll take that, yeah. So at the end of the year, option one would yield $52 million. That's a nice sum of money, but option two would give you over $22 trillion. Let's take that out of dollars and put it into discipleship. Would it be better to disciple 10 people a year for 30 years or to be better to disciple one person every two years, but that person would in turn disciple someone else and that person would disciple someone? Option one would yield 300 disciples in 30 years. Option two would produce 32,768 disciples. A disciple is a believer who
who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others to do the same. Now, let me see if I can finally answer our daughter Megan's question. What's a new Christian supposed to do, Daddy? Lovingly follow Jesus, Megan, and then intentionally help others to do the same.